It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Friday morning. Gosh, we live uh, in a pretty good country, don't we, really? I was just uh, looking at the headlines, scrolling across uh, one of the local news uh, uh, breakfast shows, and uh, one of them said uh, the Ukraine um, had uh, invasions or strikes last night from Russia, killing people. Uh, Palestine was invaded too uh, with, um, by Israel, so more deaths there. Um, and our biggest problem is we can't get a, a car park close enough or we can't get public transport to Elton John. Uh, what a great country we live in. Isn't it amazing? And that was a headline. It's a headline. Wellington are running out of water. They'll be asked to conserve water. How can anyone run out of water in this country over this period of time? Have we not had enough rain? And there's more forecasts this weekend. So Aucklanders have got a batten down the hatches. Uh, and finally, I think, uh, too, Ricardo, we've got a, a Prime Minister. Well, a Prime Minister, uh, I, I think so far he's only very new in the job, like a matter of hours. But he hasn't upset anybody. He's been good. So that's, uh, if he takes it day by day, uh, absolutely fantastic. It reminds me of, I'm old, but if you, if you can Google uh, OP, out of, OP, not OP Boston, you Google OP out of the Andy Griffiths show, you'll see Chris Hipkins. You'll see Chris, Chris Hipkins in a former life. So, I mean, he, he's a, he seems a delight, this gentleman, an absolute delight. So uh, we'll just see how he goes before um, it hits the fan round there. Uh, Jeff, the ref's come in and said uh, the boys must have been talking about healthy diets or healthy bodies uh, during the breakfast show. What's Smithy's circuit to a healthy body? Pies and beers? Well, I'm not a big pie eater, to be fair, Jeff. I'm not a massive pie eater, but I do like beers. So you got it 50% right. So there you go. Uh, right, we've uh, got a busy show this morning, uh, and it's courtesy, of course, of Brent, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Uh, we're going to talk to Michael Glading, of course. He's the tournament director for the New Zealand Golf Open. Not too far away, actually. Just uh, a matter of uh, weeks. He'll be probably counting them off on the days on his calendar. Uh, we shall uh, open up the lines for you uh, after 9.30, and you can come on on anything you like. Uh, you might want to come up uh, with uh, a cricket team. Now that we're uh, heading towards the World Cup, it's, uh, it's still six months away, but we're running out of opportunities. Uh, what are you looking for over the weekend in sport? Uh, you might want to come up, as I said, with a one-day cricket team. I can't find an opener for, with uh, Conway. I've gone Conway and Williamson. Wouldn't mind Kane Williamson opening, actually, and Phillips at three. That would be probably, uh, I'm looking to be a bit more dynamic. Latham, Mitchell, Bracewell, uh, that's Michael Bracewell, Santner, Sodi, Saudi. Bolt, if available, hands and knees. I am on hands and knees for Trent Bolt to get back, and I think he will be available for the World Cup uh, white ball cricket come October. So uh, we'll open up the lines just after 930 and then also we'll have MJ Hurley just after 10 o'clock. Now, MJ's been on the show before, but it is a massive uh, weekend. Uh, in fact, uh, I think it's more Monday morning, but it's uh, the last chance we'll have to talk to him uh, before the Chiefs uh, take on the Bengals and, of course, the Eagles take on the 49ers. That is the last four heading towards Super Bowl. Uh, 10.30, uh, Ricardo is uh, with us today, so we should be uh, previewing the, the weekend of football. There's plenty on, including the wonderful FA Cup, and we'll uh, announce some of the fixtures there, and it's just 
quite romantic actually this competition David Mustard after 11 o'clock to look at the Australian Open um, who can beat Djokovic if anyone and what about the women's final now that uh, that's been decided uh, Lavina Good <coughs> who is uh, so versatile as a broadcaster uh, is calling hockey this weekend it's the Black Sticks against Spain at uh, her beloved Mount Monganui. so we'll be talking to Lavina about that first pro- uh, project for new coach Phil Burrows Mike Guerin, uh, Michael Guerin of course before uh, 12 o'clock as well before we hand over to Staffy but- Nine oh seven here on SENZ, and it's a really uh, good morning to uh, one of our very good friends of the show, Michael Glading. Of course, he's the tournament director for the New Zealand Golf Open, March two to five at Millbrook Resort. Michael, it's getting very close now, so uh, all hands to the pump, I would imagine. Yeah, very much, maybe it's, because it's been a three-year gap. But uh, my wife reminded me; she said, "You've forgotten how busy you get." Haven't you? I said, "Go ahead, actually. <laughs> it's crazy at the moment, but it's all good. Very nice to be busy." It's- it's, it is nice to be busy, and it's so nice to have it back, and there are so many good things to talk about, including uh, the confirmation yesterday of Daniel Hillier, of course, uh, one of two full-time players on the DP Tour, uh, a DP World Tour. He is a terrific golfer in the making, um, and Daniel has, has confirmed his, his entry. Yes, he, uh, and, and that is exciting for us, because uh, when I first talked to Dan last year, he was uh, having just secured his card. He explained to me that he had to play in every single DP World Tour event that he can get a start in because he can't get into everything. Um, and at the start of the year, it was much easier to get start. So it was unlikely he would come. And um, we've just sort of kept on. There's been a few people, uh, including myself, but uh, the other interesting one is Steve Williams because Steve uh, is also, like I am, a great believer in Dan Hillier. And Steve has also been ringing Dan. And Steve and I have been talking and saying, we've got to get this guy here. Uh, Steve's going to caddy for him, which is really cool. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've got a lot of faith in this kid, uh, you know. And he's a fantastic young guy. So where his his flight schedule was a bit hectic, he's flying from here to uh, from to get here. He's playing India the week before, and then flying down, and then I think he's back into Europe the following week. So it, it's a big commitment from his part, and uh, I'm really delighted that he's made it. Yeah, that is uh, because this is a, a homegrown uh, young man who has had a a rich history in New Zealand golf to this point. Um, you know, he's, he's still very, very young in terms of uh, his own age, but also in terms of uh, the go- his golfing career. But uh, a terrific amateur and successful on the Charles Tour as well. Yeah, and also, you know, so I think, you know, look, look at what he did on the Challenge Tour last year. He won a couple of times. And, you know, if you, if you go back to uh, uh, Ryan Fox uh, and you trace his uh, progression, it was very, very similar, right? Very similar. Uh, very strong amateur, um, uh, turn pro, won, won quite a lot of domestic events, uh, went to Europe, couldn't quite make the main European tour as it was then, got onto the Challenge Tour, won on uh, multiple occasions, and worked his way up, you know, and players that work their way up, uh, I think are in much better stead than the guy that has a magical win out of nowhere, gets thrown onto a bigger tour and then, and then sinks. Uh, and, and I think Dan's progression, as you say, it's still an age of, I think he's 24, uh, it's very exciting. And, and he's a very grounded young man. Uh, I, I think he's got everything he's got. It takes, you know, we've, we, I know we've said this before about a lot of, uh, the world is full of potential, as I always say, but he's got it in spades. Uh, but above, the most important thing is I think the bit above his neck is, is very well screwed on. And I think he's, uh, I'm very, very hopeful for Dan. I think he's going to be the next big thing. 
Well, that on the back too of uh, Stephen Alker, of course, who's on the other end of uh, his pre- professional career on the Champions Tour. So Stephen has been confirmed. Uh, the other very impressive news uh, coming uh, out recently is the uh, the prize money. Uh, the figure is uh, up around $1.7 million when you take the Pro-Am into consideration as well. It's an increase of yep. 17% and nigh, nigh on 300000 to the winner. Now that is a tasty, a tasty carrot. So the field must be starting to fill up quite nicely. Yeah, it is. Uh, as you say, we're, we're pretty delighted to be able to increase the prize money, particularly with what we've been through. And of course, that could never have been done without the book's backing of us. So uh, I, I know it sounds like I'm giving them a plug, but it's deservedly so. They've stood by us for two lean years. They've uh, lost uh, you know, more than $2 million uh, in terms of sunk costs, uh, and, and they're back and, and backing us again, which is brilliant. And our international sponsorship and, and amateur players. The way we've been able to maintain our revenue base, and in fact grow it, is pretty astounding, really, if I'm honest with you. Um, so that's that's very encouraging. And player-wise, yeah, the um, players are starting, we're really starting to lock them in. I've just had 100% confirmation on my Japan Tour players this morning, funnily enough. Um, and we've, I've got one kid there who, you know, every year, it's really, and, and I, again, I'm no genius, but um, it's based on fact. But I always try and get at least one young player who I think could well make it on the world scene. And I think we've got one out of Japan. There's a boy called Ricky Kawamoto. He's 21 years old. He's won twice in Japan last year. He's the longest hitter on the Japan Tour statistically. Great young kid. He's really got... And Brendan Jones was the one that put me on to him. Brendan plays in Japan. He said to me, you've got to get this kid out. He is he is the real deal. He is the next big thing. And I trust Brendan. And, yeah, so getting Ricky Kawamoto for me is a, is a big news. Again, no one... I don't expect anyone New Zealand to know who he is, but I think by the time he leaves mm-hmm. our shores, they will. Uh, and uh, and added to that, a boy called uh, Horikawa, who has featured well in our tournament many years out of Japan. Uh, he's number four player in Japan, won four times up there. Uh, so, yeah, so we've got some really strong players out of there and good, really good out of Asia as well. So, yeah, you're right. The field is really starting to take shape, probably later than normal. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's all the uncertainty that everyone's had. So uh, it's now, as I say, I'm keeping busy. There's lots of, and people are having to get visas and all this and stuff. And, and flight schedules are much tougher than they used to be. So a few challenges there yet still, but um, yeah. uh, we'll overcome them. Yeah. What about um, other New Zealand professionals, New Zealand-based professionals that we that are looking to make a mark? The, the young kids coming through. Yeah, well, I've got one boy who we've actually had to give an invite to because he wouldn't have qualified otherwise. But a boy, and ironically, his name is Harry Hillier, and he's not a relation to Dan. But Harry uh, and his brother Charlie have been playing in the U.S., uh, he's a product of the U.S. college system. Uh, he won on on what you'd call the third tour. Uh, used to be, I think it used to be called the Hooters Tour, but they don't call it anymore. Uh, but he had a good win there, uh, I think, in Texas last year, uh, in 2022. Um, he's a player. Uh, Jamie Cooper, who's a well-known Auckland coach, uh, coaches him, and Jamie's been telling me to keep an eye on this kid for quite a while. Um, so, ironically, the same surname as, as Dan, but uh, I'm very excited about the fact that Harry's going to come back. He pretty much lives in the US now, um, which is why we probably don't know much of him, um, but he, he will be coming back. Um, and you're right, there's a bunch of really good young young uh, New Zealand pros coming through, but um, getting getting Daniel, I guess, right at the top of that list is uh, a very aspirational too for a lot of these other guys coming through strong support um as always from australia michael 
Yeah, we do. Yeah, we've, uh, of course, Brad Kennedy, who's won the tournament twice, is, is coming back. Uh, my good mate, Brendan Jones, although he's more, more Japanese than Australian these days, but he's coming back. Again, a couple of really good young ones out of there. A kid called Jake McLeod. Now, Jake's been playing uh, on DP World Tour the last couple of years. He's probably one that I sort of referred to earlier, where he kind of won a tournament that got him onto the DP World Tour. He kept his card for a couple of years, but right down the bottom end, and we all know that the bottom end of, the, of any tour is not, not the place you want to be. Um, he still has status in, in, on DP World Tour, but he's going to come back and play. He's a very talented young young boy. Another one of uh, similar vein, a guy called Todd Siddett. Uh, Todd, again, broke through at a very young age, was, was number one amateur in Australia, turned pro, won quite quickly, uh, has been playing in both Japan and in Asia, has had serious injury problems for the last couple of years, but uh, M222 uh, so seemed to be through all of that. I saw him at the PGA Championship in Australia where he featured well. Uh, he's fit again, uh, and I think he's an enormously talented young player. Like all these kids, of course, he's six foot three, as thin as a pencil, and it's it's a ball hundred miles. So <laughs> exciting to watch. Mm. So uh, and you know, and then we at the other end of the scale, we've got people like Scott Hen coming back, and Scotty, uh, he's and Wade Ormsby, a couple of the. Uh, and I wouldn't, I, I oh. definitely wouldn't call them veteran stage, but they're at the other end of the of the, of the age scale, uh, and both of those guys are prolific winners around the world. So, you know, really good to have them back and good characters, good individuals, good fun. So, yeah, I'm very pleased with all of them. They are some very well-known golfers if you look at uh, golf tournaments around the world constantly competing on the world stage so uh it, it really does starting to to grow and um and now that we get closer to the day and i i, I did a bit of a calculations it's it's, well, it's about 30 something days so it's not far away from you uh michael so tell us uh first yeah first of all about the, the format this time around uh, the difference, I guess, to anything we've done before, we still played across two courses, but this time both courses are at Nubuk. So having the, what is the new course, so I guess it's uh, it, it was new because it, it opened during COVID time. So that hasn't been used uh, for New Zealand Open before. So we play the first two days. It's pro-am format, as you know. Um, and then after the after the second day, we have a cut of 60 pros, which is normal, but also uh, our pro-am teams go down to 40. And then for the last day, there's only 10 pro-am teams and, uh, and those 60 pros. So it sort of starts as a 100% pro-am and finishes as a, as a 95% pro only. So that's the way it works. And it, it works very well, I think. And the the amateurs, so who are the um, more well-known amateurs? I, I know a lot of people pay money to get in here, but you've got... Uh, yeah. Amateurs as well, amateur guests. Yeah, 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 from all over the world, uh, Smithy. I mean, uh, fantastic, really. Again, how many we've got coming? Uh, quite a few out of out of the USA. Um, we've got one of our sponsors is based in Indonesia. He normally brings down eight people. This year, he's bringing down twelve. Um, uh, again, out of Japan, we always allow for twenty Japanese uh, amateurs to come down, so they come down. So you know, again, if we in fact, I've been asked the question by one of our travelling amateurs, have you ever really added up how much money we spend when we come to New Zealand? I went, well, we sort of estimate <laughs> it, but <laughs> he yeah. said, well, I think you're light. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's fantastic to have these people come here, and they love it. Uh, and, and it's interesting, too, I guess, with the growth of golf north of Auckland now, uh, a fair few of them are sort of either coming in early or staying on an extra few days afterwards and coming up and playing up in those fabulous courses up uh, uh, up at uh, TRI and, and Tarihi, so yeah, that's it's 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 a great asset for our event. It's a great asset for our country, quite frankly. Bring these people here. You, 
you probably haven't got a list in front of you because there's probably quite so many of them. But who who are the major sponsors? I mean, uh, you know, we we have no qualms about uh, giving them a plug here because they've been patient, oh, yeah. they've waited, they've stuck by you. Uh, who are who are they these have, people that have. that are making this making it for you? Well, first and foremost, it's Sky Sport. You know, Sky Sport are not only our broadcaster; they're also uh, they're also a sponsor. So uh, that's pretty unique. And, and I realise Sky Sport are, uh, are are in a world now that uh, well, Sky should I say Sky Television are in a world which has uh, been a, been a bit difficult uh, and, and continues to be. But they've been a fantastic partner. Uh, we have a long term uh, relationship with them. Um, and you know, then it goes back in terms of our New Zealand companies. Uh, Rebel Sport have been our sponsor from day one. They've been with us every single. Yeah, Rod Duke, um, and Rod is uh, not only a character; he's also a great supporter. He's uh, he's been amazing. Hyundai has been a great one too for us, uh, and Manuka Doctor. They, they've sort of been the uh, and SBS Bank out of Invercargill uh, have been fantastic. So look, you're right, Smitty. It's a bit hard to mention them all because we've got about 17 mm. of them, which has been a bit of a strength of our success. We've had a large yeah. family of sponsors, and so you don't become reliant on one, which means if that falls over, you're in big, big trouble. But internationally, we've got companies like Diners, uh, which is incredible, Sumitomo Forestry, uh, and Nelson Pine, which is their New Zealand company. OG have been uh, really, you know, we, we work with the New Zealand company here in OG, uh, and they are fantastic to work with. So, yeah, I have to say, but, yeah, the likes of Manuka, Hyundai, you know, OG, Rebel, SBS, Nelson Pine, it's just, it's just amazing, really, the the support that we've had from from these companies. Really, it's been it's been um, really quite quite humbling in a, in a sense that we've managed to keep them, and in some cases even grown some of them. It's just pretty exciting. Michael, uh, you covered the television coverage of it for those uh, people that cannot get to Queenstown. Uh, what about um, spectator accessibility on Millbrook? Uh, well, you know, Millbrook, as you know, is, is, is a large piece of real estate and, and for, we've made a decision, which we did a couple of years or a couple of tournaments ago, that we would have free entry. Um, uh, some people think we're a bit crazy. Uh, other people think we're very benevolent. But it, it, it's... Uh, it, I mean, if I'm honest with you, uh, aside from the real, the obvious benefits, which is which it uh, removes an impediment for people to come along. In other words, it makes it really appealing for people to come along. But also, you know, it means we don't have to have security on the gate. We don't have to have, uh, you know, we don't have to have ticketing. We don't have to have all those things. So uh, we think that's pretty cool. Uh, it was a, a decision that Millbrook made. We've had support over many years from Queenstown Council. Frankly, that level of support does uh, reduce most years. But, uh, you know, the fact that the Council uh, are very supportive of the event, and that's sort of something we talked to them a few years ago and said, "Look, if you keep supporting this event, um, we'll make it. We'll make it uh, open to entry." So obviously, there are people that come from all around the country to look at the tournament, but also the locals. The fact that uh, we try and get people along to the tournament that arguably may not come to a golf tournament normally, and you know, it's a great, it's a, it's a great locale and a great place to be. So. It's international sports uh, combined with, uh, you know, uh, paradise, really, I think. I mean, I just love it, especially looking out the window here in Auckland. <laughs> it is. Uh, I've just spent f- uh, five or six days down there before Christmas, and honestly, uh, I'm, uh, you know, p- people that come from other parts of the world just say, do you realise how good it is? And most New Zealanders, uh, a lot of New Zealanders, predominantly wouldn't have never have been to Queenstown. That's the ironical thing about it. Uh, so here's a yeah, great opportunity, great. Michael, to incorporate some uh, wonderful golf and uh, some wonderful scenery and a great time. Um, just on, on another uh, golfing matter, if I could get your opinion, I, 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 I'm starting to get a bit sad about 
uh, the LIV thing because um, you know it's, it's when I see Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed have schoolboy type spats on, on a you know on a, a practice range, it, it starts to worry me a bit, yeah. a wee bit that some reputations are going to be starting to be um, a little bit belittled uh, because of all this. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Uh, that said, I, you know, you, when you read the facts that uh, that Rory got uh, served, uh, uh, Patrick Reed's lawyer served him a summons on Christmas Eve, I can understand why you wouldn't be saying, G'day, mate, good to see you again. Mm. I certainly wouldn't be. Uh, so, But, you know, you're right. It's, and, and, of course, when lawyers are involved, things get ugly, right? And uh, normally you only go to a lawyer when, when, there's, when there's absolute strife. But uh, unfortunately, in, in, in America particularly, people rush to lawyers if you've stubbed your toe. Uh, and I think this is, the, this is so it escalates, it gets it worse. It seldom gets fixed by lawyers, does it? It just, it, all, all it does is escalate it and make it go longer and make it go more public. And that's what's happening. Uh, it's certainly not good for the game. I couldn't agree more. Uh, uh, so we've, in a sense, we're lucky in that we're in this part of the world and we're a bit isolated from. It. In terms of trying to run our own event, we've tried to keep our, you know, we've tried to keep ourselves uh, away from those uh, debates. But it's certainly, I agree with you. I think it's very, very sad. There's no, there's, there's no real winners in it. Um, unfortunately, though, of course, you've got. You know, it's being led by Greg Norman, who has his own agenda. He clearly, you know, he's sort of been on record as being anti-PJ Tour for a long time. And uh, uh, and and I guess he feels he's now getting his revenge on, on some of the things he wasn't happy with years ago. And like all these arguments, will be fault on both sides. But it's to, to be strapping like this, uh, you know, supposedly say they're trying to grow the game. Well, they, you know, I'm not sure about how, how what they're doing is growing the game. It's certainly growing 48 people, 48 players' pockets, but I'm not sure it's growing the game. That said, on the no. flip side, Live Golf is taking taking tournaments to parts of the world that haven't had them. So, you know, that's that's the plus side, right? So all of a sudden you're getting, getting major players playing in, in parts of the world where they wouldn't normally go. So I suppose that's uh, that's one of the positives of it. They've gone to Adelaide, or they're going to Adelaide. They've announced the tournament there. I mean, yeah. Adelaide's not too far yeah. from New Zealand, is it? To be fair, any any no. any uh, nothing any possibility. I mean, uh, I'm not quite sure how well it would be received. I mean, the caliber of golfer they've still got on there uh, would be an exciting draw card any day of the week in New Zealand. I would imagine, even if it was perceived as being a bit rebellious. Oh, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? I've spoken to a few people in Australia and said, you know, how do you feel about it going to going to uh, Adelaide? These are not people in the game. These are just the mates. And they go, I hate live golf, hate everything it stands for, but hey, I'm going to go and watch it. <laughs> I still think this is... I think so. I think you're right. I think you're right. I still think my concern with the with the format and the way it is, it, it is still glorified exhibition golf. I really think it is, you know. It, it doesn't seem to have that same... Uh, element of competition uh, that, say, the PGA Tour does have. And, and, and that would, for me, and again, discussing it with mates again, they, they kind of must must feel the same. You know, are you excited about who's going to win? No. But I'd like to go and see Dustin Johnson play. I'd like to go and see, mm. you know, uh, Cam Smith play. I'll go and see these guys play. So I think from a, I, I still think from a, what, what their tour lacks is that real competitive. And maybe, maybe, maybe in time they'll ever I don't know, but it just you know there's no history. So when there's no history, it's like who cares who wins? But hey, great golf, great to watch. <laughs> so it's not yeah. quite the same, yeah. is it? You know. No, it's, it's not the same, Michael. You're right. Uh, but um, all in all seriousness, thank you so much for uh, your time this morning. 
Um, and all the best with those uh, that last minute tinkering around before uh, your tournament starts on uh, March the 2nd. Can't wait for it. Thanks uh, Thanks for your time, Michael, as always. Thank you, Smitty. Good to talk. See you, mate. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. So Michael Glading there, of course, the director of the New Zealand Open. Um, and uh, as I said, uh, it's getting real close, real close, and they've been waiting so long. It's uh, 9.26 here on SENZ. Back time with Smithy. Call now 0800 150 811. 9.34 here on SENZ. Brian's coming from the Hibiscus Coast. Been patient. Brian, thank you very much uh, for that. What's on your mind this morning? Good morning, Ian. Uh, just a couple of points. Um, Michael Glading uh, would be the son of Bob Glading. I would be thinking so, yep. Um, R.H. Yeah. Glading, I think. It was way, way, R. way R. back. Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, just a little bit of trivia. Uh, going to England on the ship in 1960, <clears throat> Bob was on board and uh, he got off at, at Durban and then he played a lot in South Africa for quite a while. Um, just thinking about cricket, uh, Ian, um, I can see in the future, maybe a couple of years, that uh, Devon Conway will make a good captain. I think you've got a good point there. Um, I think he's got a, a good cricket brain. He doesn't appear um, to panic. Uh, you know, he won't be rushed. I think he's got a good all-round knowledge of it. He's been sitting back for a long time. And I, yeah. I really do, um, I, I, I agree with you. I think, um, particularly in the short form of the game, Brian, I think you, you make a good point there. Now, uh, Ian, was there a race meeting at Hastings yesterday? There was, yeah. I think a 10-race card, yes. Ian, um, I like to, to have had a punt, not very big, you know, a little bit here and there, but not so much now, of course. Uh, and um, I used to watch the papers for the fields and mm. then watch the paper the next morning for the results. There was nothing about Hastings uh, for their race meeting and nothing in the paper this morning. Uh, I've rung um, the Herald a couple of times and haven't been able to get hold of Michael Guerin. He's out somewhere, the uh, operator said. And uh, I just wonder, when, next time you talk to him, is, is there a possibility of just finding out why that is? Um, it's quite frustrating if, if perhaps if you're following... See, I don't have a computer, so I can't get on that. But I do have trackside, but then you don't know whether it's on or not, uh, the meetings. And I was just wondering if you had time to ask him um, why there's not the coverage of the fields. It's, uh, yeah, I'm not the only one that thinks this way, I'm pretty sure. Okay, uh, Brian, I promise you this, uh, 11, around about 11.43 this morning, that's uh, according to our, our rundown, I will be talking to Mick Guerin. I will ask him, that's the first question I'll ask him on your behalf. Um, and look, I, I totally get where you're coming from. I really do. Um, yeah. And the coverage, the newspaper coverage of of racing in this country has gone downhill uh, markedly uh, to the point where they just expect they just expect that everyone's uh, got phone accounts, everyone's got uh, all that knowledge well, we on their phones. No. And of course, no, you're right. You're dead right. And the racing fraternity still 
have to respect the the elder people um, because they're the lifeblood of it. Uh, whilst they try to well, attract the new. That's correct. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Are. Thank you for your time. Okay, Brian. I'll ask him that. You listen uh, about quarter to twelve yep. this, uh, this morning. Oh, uh, well, that'll indeed. be fantastic. Zane, Zane from Parapara Umu. Good morning to you, sir. You just caught me in the middle of a nine line into the uh, twelve. Put it on the oh, green. Oh, nice. It's, d- it's on the green. Oh, nice. It's on the green. Putting for birdie. Hey, um, <laughs> interesting. Like listening to you talk about the. It's great news about the New Zealand Open. How well that's going. But on the live thing. I'm, it still really annoys me the whole, I don't know the the childish way they're going backwards and forwards. I've gone from Rory McIlroy being by far my favourite international player over the Kiwis to not actually wanting to hear a word out of his mouth because it's always so petty and childish shots back and forward. But I wonder how we would feel if they actually took fan feedback and went to legitimate seventy-two hole competitions, you know, running a proper format. And they could find a way to integrate it because I think, in, in theory, the concept's not a bad idea. But I just think they've gone about it in a Mickey Mouse way. How would you feel Same. if it went to proper tournament golf? Well, if it went to proper tournament golf, I think it would have a lot more credibility because one, that's what we're used to, and two, that's what we respect. I mean, we we look at three round golf and we think um, the older brigade, don't we? In all honesty, well, these guys are not old; these guys are young, fit uh, athletes. Um, so yeah, I, I think credibility-wise, there. I, I think um, I totally agree with you with Rory. I, I, I'm a big Rory fan, and um, you know I, I'm pro-establishment, so I, I don't mind having a spokesman, but not to the point where it becomes petty. And I, I don't think I think that's so below the likes of uh, Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed to in, uh, to indulge in this kind of behaviour. I, I don't think that's any good for anybody. Uh, I also foresee, I've been around um, long enough to watch the, the way cricket's changed over the years. Uh, I was, you know, the Packer times and the breakaway movements, the Rebel tours, etc. like that. Uh, I'm, I'm confident it's going to come back together, Zane, at some point. I, I really am, but it it's going to need... To. I mean, yeah. you, know, it, it, you can't... And they, you see the PGA Tour now trying to like put on these like stadium tournaments and stuff. I don't... I don't know if you need that directly associated with the top tours. Like, you know, maybe that's, we were old school and didn't think you needed that with the IPL and it's lasted. But I just, I'd like someone to, to convince Greg Norman as time's done and get a, someone credible in there to actually negotiate a way to make this thing work for golf. Because every second post I see on social media is some BS about spats between those two. And it's just, I'm not interested. Not interested at all. No, anyway, I, I think what... Rain, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think you've nailed it there. I don't see it being a peaceful resolution or any kind of um, sensible arbitration or discussion even with Greg Norman there because the hurt there and the, the, the deep-seated pain that he obviously feels about the PGA from years gone by, that's never going to go away. And whilst he's involved, uh, the, anything that will, it will be passioned, it will it'll be impassioned, it will be bitter. Uh, and there will be rivalry, and they're not the right kind of credentials, I feel anyway, for a successful reunion or negotiation, Zane. Yeah, mate. Anyway, you'll be happy to know it's raining tomorrow and windy for the first day of Interclub down here in Wellington, so back to reality. Hope it's better still, is, it, is, is that still the Duncan Cup? Uh, I'm nowhere near that level, mate, yeah, but they've still got the Duncan Cup here. I'm playing in um, Old Man's Division 4 tomorrow up against a guy in a 1.2. <laughs> it should be fun. 
<laughs> okay, cool. Right. Thanks for that, man. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. All the best. Uh, I'll, I'll enjoy talking to you. Uh, we'll go to Dean. Dino's been patient uh, this morning. Dean, good morning to you. Yes, buddy. How are you? I'm good, mate. Happy New Year. Yep. Yeah, same to you. But uh, I was lucky enough this morning to be up early enough to hear um, Bez with the breakfast boys. And I'll tell you something. As soon as I love to listen to Bez, like he's just such a real bugger, you know? Like he, he's not a wishy washy, agree with him for the sake of agreeing. He'll, he'll get in and get his hands dirty, you know? And like I love that approach. And then straight away, when he's finished, Kempi gets on with my biggest hate in sports. Right throughout New Zealand, and it's that word culture. What the hell is that? Like Baz says, we ain't got enough room for cricket gear, but we can get a wee bit of golf gear in this wee plane that we're going down to Queenstown. Fun is the word we want, Smithy. We want to have fun, but it has to be processed with results. And when you get the mix right with that, that nothing else matters. Like, what is culture? What is that crap? The Warriors have been trying to talk about culture for 28 years. It's rubbish. It's utter rubbish. They're professional sportsmen, overpaid a lot of them, and underachieving. And they talk about culture being the problem. Well, what is that? I don't get well, culture is an interesting word because culture is also, um, you know, when you have culture, deep-seated culture, and it doesn't go well, you kind of get conflict. You kind of get a disagreement within a group. Um, if they're all not um, buying into the same culture um, or the culture becomes dominant and uh, some members of the group don't, ha- don't have that culture, uh, to me it, it becomes uh, a little bit dangerous. So, Dino, you, you make a very good point and, and it is something that uh, we always talk about, uh, always talk about with uh, the Warriors. It's always the cultural side of things. I respect that there is a lot of um, Ireland and uh, Māori involvement in that, and uh, those are (coughs) races who are steeped in culture. So I have uh, no issue with that. Uh, Being secondary, though, I I really do believe uh, rugby league should be at the forefront of everything that you do. Um, Baz is all about having a good time in life. There's no doubt about that. I know Baz... Uh, away from the radio, I've known him in, uh, as a cricket commentator, but uh, pretty good mate, and we've uh, been and seen a few things together, and uh, mostly uh, when uh, Brennan McCullum wakes up in the morning, um, he likes to think that this day's going to be fun, and uh, he's going to have enjoyment out of it. Sure, there'll be uh, hard work at times, and, and uh, that uh, might bear the fruit of, of, of some of his results, but along the way, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. You have to enjoy what you're doing. Um, and that is what he has instilled. If you speak to any player that's in his dressing room now, they won't believe just how much fun they're having and how much they're enjoying uh, trying to play the game of cricket that Brendan McCullum and Ben, ben Stokes want them to play. So I, I think you're dead right there. I, I really do. And in the end, uh, don't say there's no culture in the English cricket side. There are a lot of players from different backgrounds, uh, race, creed, etc., who combine, and that's been one of the hallmarks of English cricket over the last, I don't know, 20 to 30 years, is uh, they, they have this, um, because of, of the makeup of the, uh, the British population, um, you know, they have players coming from all different backgrounds. So, but you never hear them talk about culture. You never, ever hear the uh, England cricket team talk about culture. Very interesting point. Uh, thanks very much, Dean. Enjoyed that. It is 9.45 here on SENZ. The voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ.
Yeah, 9.50 here on SENZ for your texts are coming in. We thank you for that. Uh, Ian, what do you, this is from Michael Holdsworth, uh, Michael out of Wellington. Uh, what do you uh, think ANZ New Zealand Cricket Awards to introduce Debbie Hockley medal? Absolutely brilliant. A wonderful concept. Uh, I've been saying this for uh, 15 years when uh, I was a judge because it was uh, pretty much impossible to uh, bring uh, New Zealand women cricketers into the fold in terms of uh, the Richard Hadley medal because uh, they weren't playing test cricket. Uh, and I, I said this yesterday, and I'll repeat it today. Um, you know, I believe that Test cricket and the other judges too believe that it was the pinnacle of the game. Test cricket's the hardest form of the game, and when you're um, when you're not participating in that, it's very hard to be judged alongside uh, other people. And the the criteria for doing the judging had Test cricket in there factored very highly, so it made it very hard for women to ever win it. Now. Uh, even though they still don't play test cricket, they play a lot of white ball cricket and there will be a very valid and worthy winner of uh, the Debbie Hockley medal going forward. I think it's a terrific initiative. Um, I have some of the interesting comments from Michael Glading on Live Golf. I think he makes a sen- makes sense on the difference to the PGA Tour. Uh, as for Reid, who cares uh, what he thinks, nothing short of a spoilt cheat, in my opinion. Jared, uh, you make a good point there about Patrick Reid because it wasn't that long ago he was a Ryder Cup hero in America. I think they called him Captain America. He played with Jordan Spieth. They were damn near unbeatable as a combination, and he was tough, uh, mentally tough. And, and you can see the fact that he is mentally tough in one regard uh, in terms of the way he plays golf, but the way he takes on confrontations. Uh, but also you can see that he's mentally weak in some areas because he resorts to the things that he did. And that includes, of course, being caught uh, doing things on the golf course that uh, he, he later denied. Uh, but television uh, had pretty good viewpoints of some of it as well. So uh, what does fellow players think of him overall? I do not know. We know what Rory McIlroy thinks of him, uh, but certainly he's lost his reputation in, in terms of the tour. And now, of course, uh, as a live golfer, uh, he doesn't have one much at all in terms of the PGA. Uh, if Baz became, came from uh, Hamilton says, if Baz became a free agent tomorrow, would you fire Stead and give Baz a job? I would in a heartbeat. Stead's selections are still uninspiring and frustrating and the team has stagnated. Certainly I think they need a breath of life in there. Um, it would take a lot of money, I think, uh, Cam, to get uh, Brandon McCallum over. I don't think I'd have it, or you might. Uh, but uh, I, I think we need that kind of thinking. I, I, I think we need to just have a, a revitalisation in terms of some of our thinking, particularly particularly around about uh, white ball cricket. So uh, I... I I think we're okay in Test cricket. I think we're okay, and I think we'll go okay against England in our conditions. Um, but uh, they beat us three 0 in theirs. It'll be. I, I can't wait for this Test series to start against England because I, I feel like uh, maybe because I spent some time in Australia, I just don't feel like the, the cricketing summer started in New Zealand yet. I, I really don't. It just hasn't had that feel about it. Um, and, and I really, I, I really hope they have fine weather. They've had some ter- terrible weather to combat. I hope they have fine weather over those two test matches. I think the crowds will turn up in numbers. I think they'll be wonderfully supported. It's 9.53. Service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, coming up to uh, 9.59 here on SENZ, just time for a, a weekend multi. Uh, so I've gone to the A-League here and I've gone for value. Uh, the Newcastle Jets and the Brisbane Roar play and I think they'll draw. They'll draw there at $3.30 between the Jets and the Roar. Um, Stefanos surpassed to beat uh, Karol Hashinogov and it's at $1.40. Um, so I think he'll win his semi-final. Uh, and then Sabalenka to beat uh, Rybakina at uh, $1.74 in the women's grand final at the Australian Open. 
Uh, so that uh, comes out at $8.03. $8.03. Uh, we'll be talking to David Mustard actually about the Australian Open. It's after 11 o'clock. But in the next hour, we're going to kick it off with uh, MJ Hurley uh, because, of course, Super Bowl is just around the corner. We're at the N- uh, A- NFC and AFC finals uh, to be played early Monday morning, our time. And uh, I think it's time we caught up with our regular who is on the spot over there to get some details there on the favouritism, the key players, etc. We'll talk some uh, football with uh, Ricardo after uh, 10.30 as well. Uh, plenty to come here on SENZ in the mornings. Uh, time for Aroha and the 10 o'clock news. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 10.03 here on SENZ and uh, we're getting very close to uh, Super Bowl, but uh, we've got one very important round to sort out in uh, NFL football, of course, and that is the AFC and NFC finals. Uh, They're on uh, Monday morning New Zealand time, so Sunday in uh, America where we find uh, MJ Hurley, who of course is the host of uh, Third Down Thursday. Uh, It's a great uh, Zoom show and uh, it really is uh, worth following, particularly uh, throughout the season proper, but... uh, Really, yeah, MJ Hurley, good uh, morning to you, New Zealand time. Uh, I've got to say, this is the, the time of the year where football fans get really excited, particularly if you're involved uh, with the four teams that uh, have still got a chance. And I mentioned, of course, uh, the San Francisco 49ers, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Good morning to you, our time, MJ. And uh, how, about, uh, how about these matches, matches coming up? Good morning, Ian. Thank you for having me back. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a very exciting weekend. Uh, Wildcard weekend was really fun. Divisional round disappointed a little bit, in my opinion. But you've got four really good football teams. Um, and I'm really excited because any combination you can come up with for the Super Bowl out of these four teams, I think will be really exciting to watch. Is it easy to come up with a, a Super Bowl? I look at the betting over here. The game, the betting between the Chiefs and the Bengals is is pretty much even. Um, MJ, um, but they have got uh, the, the Philly, uh, Philadelphia Eagles slightly ahead in favoritism over the 49ers. Um, that's the first uh, first game up. Uh, how do you view that one? So the really, and the biggest reason that the Eagles are going to be favored, other than the fact that they were you know, sort of the consensus best team in football this year. The biggest reason is the quarterback position. So I'm sure you guys have heard about Brock Purdy, or as we like to call him, Mr. Irrelevant. He was the last pick taken in the NFL draft. Um, Normally a person that rarely ever sees the football field. I mean, out of the last, I believe, 22 final picks of the NFL draft, Brock Purdy has already played more games in the NFL than almost all of them. So, you know, when you look at that on paper, he should not be able to compare to Jalen Hurts, who is a top college prospect, played at Oklahoma, played at Alabama, two really high-profile college football organizations, and then comes to the Eagles, has been incredible this NFL season, was an MVP contender. So on paper, Brock Purdy should not match up. But when you look at the numbers, he's fit into Kyle Shanahan's offense so well that it's it's incredibly seamless going from Jimmy Garoppolo, who has led the 49ers to a Super Bowl, is an established veteran quarterback. There's no reason Brock Purdy should be able to do what he's doing. But I think that's a huge shout out to the 49ers and their coaching system and also just the incredible talent they have. Um, when it comes to, you know, the rest of the team, both defenses are incredible. They both have some dynamic weapons. 
honestly, I think that game should be as much of a toss up as the Bengals Chiefs game is um, because both teams are just incredibly deep. And when you take out the fact that Brock Purdy was the last pick in the draft, if he was a first round quarterback, this game would be dead even. So we look at the targets for uh, Brock Purdy. Uh, McCaffrey, unbelievable in the last uh, uh, the last outing. Uh, uh, George Kittle, a little bit quieter, but uh, they they re- they remain his best targets. I, I think so. So George Kittle is a quarterback's dream, Ian, because he is the definition of a safety blanket. Um, there was one particular pass in the 49ers' last game against the Cowboys. Um, Purdy was scrambling around a little bit. George Kittle was wide open on the far right side of the field. I mean, he's jumping up and down, waving his arms, screaming for his quarterback to throw him the football, but Purdy had scrambled off left and didn't see him. A few plays later on the same drive, George Kittle was doing a very similar thing down the middle of the field, found a little hole in the zone. This time Purdy found him, and he is just such a big target. He's incredibly athletic. He's just a massive man. Um, and so it's really hard because normally linebackers are covering George Kittle. It's really hard for a linebacker to keep up with him because of his size and his speed. So, I mean, even just taking away the rest of the guys, Christian McCaffrey is incredible. Debo Samuel is one of the most unique targets in the NFL. But just the fact that a young quarterback who really is inexperienced like Brock Purdy, the fact that he has such an incredible safety blanket in George Kittle, I think that's been invaluable for him because you can draw up as many incredible plays. You know, you can scheme super well. You can have incredibly talented guys. But Brock Purdy still has to execute. And the fact that no matter what breaks down, he has George Kittle, who's not just incredible on the field, uh, but in his demeanor. I mean, he's become really good friends with Brock Purdy. They did an interview together uh, on Fox after the game on Sunday. And it's just amazing the friendship and the chemistry those two have been able to build in just seven games. You don't see that very often in the NFL. Jalen Hurts, uh, tell us about his offensive line. His offensive line, uh, not only are they the best offensive line in football, one of the best offensive lines I've seen in a long time. I don't know if you know this, Ian, but they can actually sing. Um, they they recorded, I don't know if they sing. I don't know if they sing well. That'll be up to the, <laughs> the ears of the beholder. Um, but his offensive line, they're so close, Ian, that they recorded a Christmas album together that they actually posted it's i believe it's on spotify if you want to go look it up um and that that old line led by jason kelsey uh who does a really cool podcast i'll give him a shout out with his brother travis kelsey who's on the chiefs um they host a podcast together and they just give like some cool insights into the things in the nfl that you might not know about if you don't talk to players uh but they're just they're such a close-knit group they're so good they have their now famous quarterback sneak that they run, which I believe has only been unsuccessful two times this season. That's how good it is. So if they get one yard to go, everyone knows they're going to run a quarterback sneak and nobody can stop it. So it's just, again, the same way that George Kittle is invaluable for a young quarterback, having such a good offensive line has really improved Jalen Hurts' game because he knows that he has the protection necessary to execute his game plan. If he wants to run, he can run. Um, but it's a lot different than, say, Justin Fields or Lamar Jackson, who sometimes are running for their life because their offensive line is breaking down. When Jalen Hurts has the opportunity to run, it's because he wants to or because it was planned. Uh, so that offensive line, man, has been just fantastic. 
looking at a crowd size capacity crowd size of uh, uh, around about around about seventy thousand people at uh, Lincoln Financial Field. Uh, how much of an advantage is that, or, or do players in the NFL not regard that as too much of an issue? Oh, it is. It's an issue, Ian. Um, the the Eagles. I've been able to watch a couple Packers games because you know that's my fan um, affection. I've seen a couple Packers mm. games, a couple Packers playoff games in Philadelphia in my lifetime, and they are rowdy. Uh, you know, it's it's affectionately called the city of brotherly love, which is very ironic because there's not much love that comes from those fans. I mean, a couple years ago when the Eagles were really bad before Carson Wentz left, they would just shamelessly boo their own fan, their own team. They they do not care. So they are ruthless for the opposing team. They're ruthless against their own team. But you're right with 70,000 at Lincoln Financial, it is going to be a very hostile environment for San Francisco. Um, and San Francisco fans do not travel very well, particularly from West Coast to East Coast here in the U.S. That's a really long trip uh, for 49ers fans and Philly fans are going to pack that house and they are going to be loud. Right, okay, let's go to uh, the second game, the later game. Um, that is the Chiefs and uh, the Bengals very, very close together. Point one, um, Mahomes fully fit, you think? So there, there was a video, I want to say it was Tuesday, of Patrick Mahomes running around at practice, and he looked really good. And, and I don't know if the report about his diagnosis, because it, they initially said that it was a high ankle sprain, which is normally for... Um, in NFL or NBA, like a high profile athlete, even then for such a good athlete, it's usually at least two weeks before they're running around normally. And seemingly a couple days later, Patrick Mahomes is running around, at least in some of the videos we've seen, he is running around looking like he's all good. Um, and for somebody who's getting paid $500 million, I am very confident in saying that he would not be out practicing this week if the chiefs had any concern about his ankle. And for the most part, he's been a full participant in practice. He's been doing everything he needs to do. And when it comes down to it, it's the AFC Championship game with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line. I mean, unless he was risking his own safety and like his future well-being, Patrick Mahomes is going to be on that field. And as you saw last week um, in the divisional round, even when Patrick Mahomes is not at his best, he didn't play for the whole second quarter and he was hobbling around in the second half. He still handled the Jaguars with no problem. So I'm not saying the Bengals will be handled with no problem, but Patrick Mahomes will be as close to his best as he can be. And even 70% of Patrick Mahomes is terrifying. So from the Bengals' point of view, do they? how do they shut down that combo, Mahomes and uh, the aforementioned Travis Kelsey? It is almost impossible to shut them down because... And it's really it's really unfortunate because you can game plan as much as you want. Um, there's, a, there's a pretty famous clip of Kelsey in the Super Bowl against the 49ers a few years ago. And he just went up to Mahomes as he was leaving the huddle. And he said, hey, I'm actually going to run this route. Completely off script, completely away from the play they had called. He just noticed based off of the personnel the 49ers had out there, hey, I think I'm going to run this route. And... That was one of the plays that got them in winning position in that game. He did the same thing um, in that really high-scoring game. I believe that was two years ago against the Bills. I mean, Travis Kelsey, 
is just an incredible tight end. And then you have an equally incredible talent at quarterback. That's really hard to stop. Now it's a little easier than in past years because the chiefs have on paper, fewer weapons. Tyreek Hill is in Miami now. Um, you know, they, they just don't have the firepower that people perceived they had in the past. But here's the thing. Andy Reid is one of the best offensive minds the NFL has seen in 30 years. I mean, he has revolutionized the way that the game is played. And so even you've got rookies like Sky Moore um, on the Chiefs who in any other offense would probably be getting almost no running time. He'd be getting very few snaps. And just once or twice a game, Mahomes finds Sky Moore on a nice little 20-yard crosser. I mean, the way that the Chiefs have built their offense and then don't knock McCole Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, they've got some good veterans. They may not be as flashy as Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill, but the unit that they have on offense is just so cohesive. And the same way I talked about the Eagles' offensive line, they just work really well together, the Chiefs' offense, and they have such incredible chemistry that you can game plan really well. You can execute really well, and they just still find a way to pick you apart. And it's really just a slow and painful death sometimes for these defenses because they feel like they're doing such a good job, and then Kelsey breaks one for 25. Uh, they get a nice little run for 10, and they just they will dink and dime you to death, Ian. So this will be at um, GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, there'll be a touch under 73,000 people there. Um, and that's where the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals have to uh, to make their entrance, I, I believe, with one of the form quarterbacks of this uh, NFL season in Joe Burrow yes. for Zach Taylor. He's, I think Joe Burrow's been quite outstanding. Uh, Joe Burrow's been... Ian, he's been so good that out of nowhere a lot of people including myself are thinking do we have to start considering him as one of the best if not the best quarterback in the nfl now again i i will say with my eyes patrick mahomes is one of the two best human beings to ever throw football that i've ever seen in my life so i'm not saying on a raw talent base uh that joe burrow is better than patrick mahomes i don't think anybody's gonna say that but he's got some incredible game presence. He is cocky, and that man backs it up, which is really hard to do in the NFL. Um, and he's been so good that Bengals fans are calling it, instead of Arrowhead, they've been calling it Burrowhead because he was able to go in this year and beat Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, which folks rarely do. And so, you know, he has been producing at a very high level. He has his best friend, Jamar Chase, who's been with him since their days at LSU. And they're just a force on offense. No matter what's going on, Burrow is calm. He's cool. He's collected. Uh, and he's not going to shy down from one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL at Arrowhead. So 73,000 fans or not, it's not going to phase Burrow. Uh, it really just comes down to which offense can execute better in my mind. I think that's why it's such a close spread because on offense, they're so evenly matched. Uh, the Chiefs defense has a little bit of that of the edge over the Bengals, I think. Um, but, you know, maybe some of that is taken off by Mahomes' ankle. Either way, this is the game to watch, I think. Because, um, you know, the Bills played fantastic this year. Josh Allen is really good. But I do think at this point in time, Mahomes and Burrow are the class of the AFC um, and, and we might be seeing, Ian, a level of AFC quarterback play matching up year after year 
that might end up comparing to Manning versus Brady back in the early 2000s. Wow. Now, that is interesting because we've talked about the quarterbacks because they're so key. Uh, so we're, we've talked about Purdy and Hertz and Burrow. Um, of the four that are on show this weekend, I think it's fair to say that Patrick Mahomes is the most accomplished, the best achiever so yes. far, which brings me to uh, the, the two old guys. And every time we talk to you, we talk about this. Uh, and we, we, talk yes. about the, we talk about Rogers. We talk about Brady. They're not involved in this part of the season from here on in. Will they be involved again and where? And, and I, I saw a program on ESPN the other day. They're talking about... Uh, Rogers may be going somewhere. They're still trying to find a home for Brady, even though he got uh, he got the Buccaneers through to a decent position in the competition. Where will they be, these guys? Tom Brady is the one that I, I won't speculate about, not because of my disdain for him, uh, which you know all too well. Um, but I really don't think that anybody knows where Tom Brady is going or what he's going to do he might retire i mean his his last press conference in tampa this year sounded kind of like he was going to retire um but so i'm not going to speculate that much on him i think if he were to leave tampa top two destinations excuse me would probably be vegas or miami um i don't think miami would move on from tua because mike mcdaniel really seems to like him but you know if you get the chance to get tom brady most of the time you do that um but then for Aaron Rodgers, it's and it is driving me crazy. And this is the fan in me talking for once. It's driving me crazy that we have to talk about this man the same way for the third offseason in a row. Where's he going to go? What's he going to do? All of this. Um, I, I don't know if you saw today the Jets hired as their offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, who coached this season as the head coach in Denver, but he was the Packers offensive coordinator in 2020 and 2021 when Aaron Rodgers won back-to-back MVPs. So it really appears that the Jets are making a run to try and convince Aaron Rodgers that, hey, if you do want to leave Green Bay, this might be a place where you could feel at home. It's a big market. You can still get all the attention that you love. And hey, by the way, We've got some good young weapons. We've got a nice young offensive line. And we brought in your old buddy that you were so successful with in Nathaniel Hackett. So, I mean, if you want to line up the best storybook place for Aaron Rodgers to go, because remember, Brett Favre in 2008, when he retired and unretired again in Green Bay, he was traded to the New York Jets. So if you want the weirdest parallel I've seen the NFL in a long time. Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets could be really interesting. And, you know, everybody in Green Bay is keeping things pretty quiet. Aaron Rodgers is keeping things pretty quiet. As far as I know, he's not made a decision on his end if he wants to continue playing, if he wants to stay in Green Bay. Uh, Because at this point, I think it's the least likely option that Aaron Rodgers plays next season in Green Bay. Because both sides have to agree that he wants to keep playing. And he wants to keep playing there. And then the same for Green Bay. Um, It's just he's owed $60 million again. And that's a lot of money for Green Bay. Um, You know, you you get a more desperate team like the Jets who really feel they're a quarterback away. That's one thing. But for Green Bay, $60 million for the type of performance Rodgers had this last season. Not saying that he can't turn it back around and win an MVP next year. But at some point you have to try out your young first round quarterback in Jordan Love who's been there for 3 years and hasn't been the chance had the chance to be the guy yet so if i had to put my money on it Aaron Rodgers won't be a packer next year okay he won't be a green bay packer right um 
Uh, that's uh, interesting news for you in particular, MJ Hurley. Always great to catch up yes. with you. Um, host, of course, of uh, the Third Down Thursday, that incredibly successful Zoom. So, hey, hey mate, uh, wonderful. Uh, enjoy uh, the football on uh, Monday. Um, or oh, it's Monday our time, Sunday afternoon and Sunday your yes. time. So uh, we look forward to it um, with relish. It's a great, uh, a great body of uh, NFL support in New Zealand and I particularly have a vested interest in the San Francisco 49ers. So there you go. Okay. All right. Sounds good, Ian. Thank you, sir. And best of luck to your 49ers. Yep. Thank you very much, uh, MJ Hurley there, uh, folks coming into us uh, from uh, the United States. And it's a, such an exciting uh, time of the year. They've got, of course, this weekend, then they've got Pro Bowl, uh, and then I have uh, Super Bowl. So uh, what a succession of uh, quality football they've got coming up. It is uh, 10.22 here on SENZ. Saturdays are for the punt. You know that by now, so join us on The Good Oil for just that. The Good Oil, each Saturday from 1pm on SCNZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yeah, 10.28, coming up to the 10.30 news, talking with Ricardo, uh, all things football after that, including um, a very interesting topic too um, uh, about Auckland City, who are on the other side of the world. Did you know that? We'll find out more about that uh, very shortly. Um, Smithy, uh, text from Richard. Uh, may as well whack Guppy back in, or if he's not in the reckoning, perhaps uh, Tim Seifert has some experience now and may have the temperament to be more consistent now. Yeah, Tim Seifert, not sure about Tim Seifert. I haven't seen his name in lights as, as uh, much as I really would like to uh, to come in for. Uh, and we're talking about Finn Allen here, who I think is under pressure to hold his spot. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but he seems to have had a pretty nice run. Uh, Guppy, I was, I was hoping that Guppy would be a big factor for the Melbourne Renegades. I was hoping he'd put his name in lights with a couple of really big scores there so people would say, yeah, Guppy's still around. Uh, but didn't quite have the season that um, I hoped that he would have, which is a, a damn shame. But uh, I wouldn't write him off. I wouldn't say absolutely no to Martin Guptill because he's been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Uh, but in Indian conditions, they say uh, he's a bit marginal against spin bowling, and that's the reason why he doesn't uh, come up and get the healthy IPL contracts in the past either. So horses for courses, I'm struggling to find that spot, that opening spot alongside Devin Conway. I really am. Grant's come in with an, an interesting one on the back of um, what we heard from Brian from the Hibiscus Coast. Uh, Grant said, the Smithy, the TAB need to be held accountable. They closed the Frankton TAB, which you frequently visited, and Nisbo when commentating in Hamilton. Absolutely true. Terrific TAB, great facilities there. Uh, the Working Men's Club with over 6,000 members has no TAB, just EBT machines. A joke. Our elderly members don't bother coming in as they can't have a bet. Well, that's an interesting one for me because that is one I, I would have thought one of the more successful uh, TAB outlets in the country. I had no idea, Grant, that that had closed down. I'm really surprised at that because uh, whenever I did go in, and yes, I popped in every now and then, particularly um, at sporting time around about Hamilton, um, I, I, there was always people in there. It was always uh, quite vibrant, um, and you know, and the, the service was brilliant. I really look forward to going there. There's a glass sliding door in between the two facilities um, and it was on, always opening and closing, opening and closing with uh, people of all ages actually going through to put their bets on. So I'm absolutely, I won't say gobsmacked because uh, some things uh, that, that uh, uh, people do that don't surprise me greatly uh, from time to time, but I thought uh, that would be one of the last, 
one of the last TABs uh, outlets that would ever be closed. Um, concerned about that, Grant. I really am. Thanks for your text on that matter. Mm. Sign of the times. Sign of the times. Not good times. 10.30 here on SENZ Football next with Ricardo. So Called the Greek Scouser, Kostas Simikas. Chelsea need Mendy again. The highest of dramas here. Simikas for Liverpool and wins it for Liverpool. A nerveless penalty, no wonder he's off and running. They win the FA Cup at the expense of Chelsea. Well, a classic derby that was between uh, Liverpool and uh, Chelsea, of course. Um, Merseysiders uh, against Londoners, but a real match-up of two form teams. And that was uh, the outcome of last year's FA Cup final. And that uh, is one of the major focuses of uh, this weekend's uh, world of football because we're down to the last 32 teams in the 2023 FA Cup as such. Some wonderful matchups, some interesting matchups. But uh, Ricardo, uh, one of the interesting things I always find about this is a sense of romance when you look at some of the sides playing in this competition. We'll start at the top if you like. Man City Arsenal, the draw card game. Yeah, fantastic game. And, you know, this is a, the first of three times these two teams have to play each other in the next couple of months because uh, for some reason the way the draws worked, they haven't played each other in the league yet. And we're talking first versus second. So, I mean, if you're the managers of these teams, if you're Pep Guardiola or if you're Mikel Arteta, uh, you'd be thinking there's an opportunity to maybe get a mental edge over the opposition as well, Smithy. It is, uh, um, you know, and of course, the significance. Can we just talk about the significance now? Uh, Champions League, obviously, is the big goal because of the finance and the prestige there. Uh, the EPL in terms of stability, television rights, etc. Where does the FA Cup fit in? I think the FA Cup is third. You know, the League Cup is fourth, um, and I think that's the reality. There's been some talk uh, from people in the UK saying that they, they really want to bring, uh, put the emphasis back on the FA Cup. And there was talk a while ago that there's four places, you know, the top four qualify for the Champions League, um, top four qualify for the Champions League in uh, in the UK, uh, but uh, top four of the Premier League. But uh, maybe it should be the top three and the FA Cup winner and then put the emphasis back on the FA Cup for those big sides. Okay, right. Let's go down the list. We've got quite a few to get through. We won't mention them all, but what about, um, I I mentioned the word romantic before. A great mate of mine is a fellow by the name of David Lloyd. Bumble, one of the great television cricket commentators of all time, was on the board at Accrington Stanley for a little while. They're up against Leeds. Accrington Stanley against Leeds. Yeah, that's a that's a great matchup, isn't it? It's what the the 
FA Cup is all about. And Aki Stanley are, are battling at the moment in the third tier, League One. And they've been there for a while, to be fair. And they've been, I think you'd have to say, they've been batting above their average to be in, in, in League One with the, the crowds they get and the, the amount of revenue that they have as a club. So they've been doing very well there. They're at home. They have vociferous report and uh, support. And, you know, the other things, whether you'll know all too well, uh, Lancashire, Yorkshire, no, no love lost there. And it's certainly going to be yeah. a battle of that. Be interesting, very, very interesting as we continue to go down uh, the list here and we come across a team by the name of Wrexham in the last 32 up against Sheffield United and Wrexham have made the headlines for ownership as much as anything else. Yeah, I mean, you've got Deadpool, uh, as he's probably better known about a lot of people, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, he's done, you know, famous actor, and him and uh, Rob McElhenney, his, uh, his good friend who's uh, the writer and producer of a show called It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, uh, they they brought Wrexham. Uh, have you watched the Welcome to Wrexham, uh, Wrexham TV show on Disney yet, uh, Smithy? Hi. Uh, I have not seen it. Tell us a wee bit about it. What? Yeah, it's a fantastic show, and and it starts with the idea of these two guys buying the club and then going through and buying it, and then it's it's less about the football, although there is football there. It's more about the people, you know. It's just telling stories of the people who are attached to this club, whether they work for the club, whether they're volunteers, whether they're fans, whether it's players that they're shipping out or players they're bringing in, and the whole way through it, you have, have Ryan and Rob, you know, sort of uh, taking it step by step all the way through. It's a, a fantastic series, and I hope we get a season two. I hope we get a season two because, man, there have already been some more great storylines for Wrexham this season. You couldn't lose, man, you couldn't lose to Reading, could you? Well, you never say never. Uh, you know who's in charge of Reading. Man United old boy uh, Paul Lintz is the, is the manager there. Uh, but Reading are, have been rocks and diamonds this year in the championship. They, w- they were going great guns for a while and, and then they dropped their bundle. So Paul Lintz, uh, I think he's doing actually a pretty good job because Reading have financially been in the pop and they had to drop a lot of players uh, and that they signed a lot of free agents because they just didn't have any money. Uh, so he's done a great job with them uh, to keep them out of relegation, I think, is a success for, for Paul Lintz this season. So the FA Cup probably won't won't be their focus, but you know, for the players, you tell the players that you guys get an opportunity to come to Old Trafford and test themselves against the best or some of the best in the country. Uh, you know, as you say, that romance of the cup. You never say never when it comes to the FA Cup, Smithy. You know that. Stoke City and Stevenage. Tell us a wee bit about Stevenage. Yeah, Stevenage Town are a, a club that have uh, for a long time were a non-league club. And then a while ago, they got promoted out of uh, out of the fifth tier into the fourth tier, and they did all right, got up to the third for a while, and then they went back down, and they had some financial issues. But they're back again, and uh, they're battling at the top end of the of League Two, which is the fourth tier. So if all, all going well for them, they will be a, a League One or third division club uh, next season. So this is a good. This is, a, this is going to be a really good battle because Stoke. Um, you know, since the the Premier League days, uh, they've really struggled. They they've hardly bothered the playoffs, and uh, they're more often than not battling at the other end of the table. So they're they're trying to avoid relegation at the moment from the Championship. And you know, if you are looking for an upset this weekend, you could do worse than Stevenage to beat Stoke. I think because I think Stoke's eyes are very much on the league and trying to preserve their Championship status. And go back to 1867 when uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, became a factor. They played uh, uh, played a long, long way ago. They were actually at one stage called the Wednesday Cricket Club. That's how far back they go. 
Uh, they're up against Fleetwood. I've got to say, I throw my hands up and say, Fleetwood Mac, I know. Tommy Fleetwood, I've heard of. Uh, Fleetwood, Fo- Fleetwood Football Club. Yeah, Fleetwood Town, they're uh, on the west coast, uh, just down from Blackpool. So that's their big rivalry is Blackpool. And they're another non-league club. You know, over the last 20 years, we've seen a lot more non-league clubs climb into the uh, the, the what they call league football, which is the top four divisions, and do well. Uh, and Fleetwood Town have been a, a quite a progressive club, a club that have really looked for players have been cut uh, from established clubs and given them an op- opportunity. And uh, there was a bloke whose name you may recognise, uh, Jamie Vardy. Uh, they gave him his yes. lifeline. He came through Fleetwood Town and was signed uh, by Leicester out of Fleetwood Town. So, yeah, Fleetwood Town are a team that have uh, yo-yoed between uh, League One and League Two since they've been back up. Uh, they're kind of too too good for League Two a lot of the time, not quite good enough for League One. And uh, they're, they're, they'll be an interesting proposition for Wednesday, who are you know a glamorous club, as you said, storied history, but they're still in the third tier. So um, they did uh, very well to knock out Newcastle, uh, which was a really big win for them in the third round. So they knocked out Newcastle United, who are, of course, top four in the Premier League at the moment in the last round. So Sheffield Wednesday, again at home, Darren Moore, uh, the big former West Brom centre-back in charge there and doing a very good job. I want to find some a little bit time a little bit later in the show because we need to talk about the Auckland City Football Club who are on the other side of the world. Uh, but just um, um, as we run out of time slightly in this segment, Phoenix women look at it back after a wonderful win last weekend. And the Knicks men's side, um, of course, so they're in Perth this weekend. Yeah, well, actually, they're, they're here. Perth are here this weekend. Oh, sorry. They, they, okay. Yeah, they've already yep. been to Perth. But, uh, yeah, no, that, that, that'll be uh, a good game. Perth didn't start the season particularly well. Ruben Zadkovic, who's a former player, he's only 36. He's taken the team on this year, uh, and it's taken a little bit of time to find his feet. But they've put a few results together, so it'll be a tough game. Perth are always, uh, you know, a team that are more than the sum of their parts, if you look at the, the makeup of their on the field. Uh, um, there's there's some good players there that they've brought back. Australians who've gone over to Europe hasn't quite worked out, and, and they've come back. So uh, that'll be a good game. It'll, it's always a battle with Perth, as I've said. So looking forward to that one on Saturday afternoon. And then, yeah, Natalie Lawrence, um, hats off to her. She's done a fantastic job uh, last week getting a win for the Phoenix women's team. That She changed things around, you know. She looked at it and went... Um, Things haven't been working, you know. We've we've been losing games by the odd goal, uh, and they haven't been able to get the points on the board. So last week she changed things up, and Chloe Knott, who's been a bit of a playmaker for them, she she kind of looked at her and thought a bit Clayton Lewis. Let's drop her back to sit in front of the defence, and she can kind of quarterback it from there with her playmaking ability. And Betsy Hassett, who who, who can run all day and has playing been playing that job, uh, been playing that role. She played up front as part of a front two, and uh, Betsy Hassett scored two. Phoenix scored five, and uh, a, a great win for them. And tell you the other story there, uh, Smithy is Millie Clegg, only young, only seventeen still. She signed for the Phoenix as an amateur, so she doesn't spoil her opportunities for a college scholarship in the United States with football. So she's playing as an amateur. She scored one and she set one up, and she had a fantastic game. She she looks a real talent. Oh, that's a hell of a story. Great sacrifice that. Uh, thanks, Ricardo. We'll uh, come back to. Uh, I want to talk that Auckland City. We've got to find time for that. Uh, but we need also to talk to Louis Herman, Watt, and Pip Morris before eleven o'clock. The Love Racing NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Well, it's a massive day tomorrow in Trentham, and uh, that is because it is the NZCIS Wellington Cup Day. It's a Group 3 event, $300,000 up for grab. 
Louis Herman. What the smart money is saying, and very smart money it seems, is the cup is going to go back towards Taranaki and with Alan Sherrick in possession of it. Yeah, you, you can't bet against uh, the great man Alan Sherrick, can you? When he's been, I, I read an article, I read some comments, and he actually he actually said it to us uh, the other morning when we spoke to him on uh, SNZ Breakfast. The reason he loves winning these cups races is because you have to think more. Like, there's more that goes into it. You have to plan from a long way out. It interests him more. And I just think that is a testament to the sort of master trainer we're talking about here, that he's actually less interested in your your day-to-day group races because there's more planning to pull off a a heist like he's going to try and do with Ladies Man, who is only carrying 53 kgs. But I think if you ask most people that know racing... Um, he should be rated a lot higher than that because he's a really talented galloper. But there's a there's a way and there's a there's a train to the store. And it's just when you see trainers kind of at that level of their games, for it's almost like coaches that can just move the blocks around a, a field. You know, they've almost hit that that level where they're kind of sitting above it all and can just see it a bit clearer. I think that's a special place to be in racing. So when he's got ladies man Waisaki and South Road all genuine chances, but especially South Road at a price here because it's going to be wet at Trentham. I think that's a testament to the trainer. And, yeah, he's old school. And, yeah, people will talk about the sprays that he's given throughout the years, but he is a master. And um, his IP, when it comes to setting horses on preparations, it's pretty special, I think. Okay. um, What about uh, other features on the card tomorrow? Last Freak's back at the race with Smithy. Now, she's a bit of a... We call her La Freak for a reason, because she can gallop. Um, what's the heavy track going to mean? I think she'll be fine. I think she'll sit wide, round them up, and just bolt home. But she's back, uh, sharp and smart, back at the races. Probably maybe uh, one of our best three-year-olds goes in that Legato Wild Night Mr. Maestro conversation for sure. Won a Group 1 in Australia already. So, look, Rogie's got another really good one here. They think it can win some big races. It's going to race against the older horses tomorrow down in the weight. I wouldn't be riding sharp and smart off. Uh, Coventina Bay's back here in Thornton Mile. It's fantastic racing, mate. And then, of course, it's all eyes to the sales. And tomorrow for the good oil, we are at the Karaka NZB Sales Complex, uh, broadcasting live 1-6 with Stephen McKee and Mark Clayton. So make sure you listen in. Get in your punters club, listen to the mail run tomorrow morning. And if you're in the quaddy crush, all lies on the good oil social media pages for those quaddies once they are placed. Louis Herman Watt, uh, have a terrific uh, weekend uh, on the punt and, uh, of course, uh, filling us full of um, more information here that we uh, dearly need on SCNZ. Have a great weekend. Uh, Louis, uh, we'll take a very short break, and when we come back, uh, we will talk also to Pip Morris with uh, some odds from the TAB. On SCNZ. Yeah, just struggling to make contact with the Pip at the moment. I can tell you there are Greyhounds race meetings on today at Invercargill, Addington and Palmerston North and on Sunday at uh, the Manukau Stadium, so uh, get along to those. Uh, but it just give us, uh, us a window, though, to talk about uh, Auckland City, uh, Auckland City Football Club. Uh, Ricardo, and uh, just in lightness, they're on the other side of the world. Yeah, they've just been in uh, in Spain, uh, in Barcelona, based uh, being hosted by the Barcelona Football Club. Uh, there is preparation for the Club World Cup, which is in Morocco. They head uh, head there, I believe, today. They're gonna they're gonna head over to Morocco for the Club World Cup. So they've played three games here. They played a, a local Spanish side. They played uh, the Korean champions, uh, Jumbuk FC, and they played Barca B, uh, which is the the team that all the Barca young stars come through. They play in the third tier 
of Spanish football, and they're about fourth in that league at the moment. And they just drew one all with Barca B the other day as part of their prep. That's a great result, absolutely great result, because there would be some unbelievable talent there about to be unleashed. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you know, Javi, and, uh, who starred for Spain in the World Cup, came through that academy. A lot of those big Barca stars have come through, and uh, from all accounts, uh, there's some very good players there, including a couple of guys who have played some senior football for Barcelona as well in the, in the top side. So uh, they finished that game, apparently, with uh, their best team too, Barca, They whereas Auckland City sort of made a few subs. So it was good to get a result there and, and, and good to score. Emiliano Tade, the ageless one, still, uh, still managed to get on the score sheet. So, okay, their, their main mission, though, is the World Club Football Championship? Yeah, so they play Al-Alahi, who are the Egyptian championships, uh, champions, I should say. If they can get past them, uh, then they play the uh, CONCACAF champions, which is uh, the Seattle Sounders, Smithy. And then if they get past them, they get to play Real Madrid in the semifinal. <laughs> wow. So, okay, so realistically, um, first up, what chance? Uh, I... Al-Alahi, a very good team, uh, the, the best team in Egypt. Uh, they've just wrapped up another Egyptian championship. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough to get past them. But I think they've showed enough here. Uh, and if you go off past history of what they've done, uh, they've, they've always managed to bat above uh, what you see from you know, a New Zealand football point of view. So I think there's, uh, there's – I wouldn't write them off, but I, I wouldn't expect them to win that. I think they're probably okay, better, right. better opportunity to beat the Sounders, to be fair. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Mm. Really interesting. Uh, thanks to that, Ricardo. Um, and we'll keep track on that. We must, something must do that. We owe it to them. So uh, we will make a commitment to make sure we get um, an update on their progress throughout the World Club Championship. Uh, another sport that needs a little bit more recognition than uh, we often give it is hockey. Um, and the Black Sticks are in action. The Women's Black Sticks are in action uh, this weekend. Uh, that's uh, up against Spain. Lavina Good's going to be commentating that. We'll talk to her very shortly here on SENZ in the mornings. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.03 here and uh, very pleased to say that uh, tennis has been a focus for us this week and it will continue to be uh, in this hour and uh, right now in fact as we talk to David Mustard, the former New Zealand tennis pro of course, uh, uh, now a coach, uh, but David in his day uh, was uh, very, uh, I, I think uh, one of our high, high profile tennis players to be perfectly honest, I, I just looked uh, a little bit of information on David, I can't believe he's 63 years of age, that surely is a misprint, <laughs> but I can also tell you uh, that David uh, played uh, in uh, the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon and doubles, but also in singles where he reached the second round in 1984-85 uh, and also in 85 the third round at Wimbledon, so uh, David Mustard knows all about uh, playing in um, Grand Slam tennis events, um, and just how hard it is to get through. David, uh, thanks so much for your time this morning. Ian, thanks. I don't think you know. I don't think I've ever actually um, you know chatted with you before, but it's it's an honour, Ian. It is an honour. <laughs> No, no, the honest mind, mate. Uh, I'll tell you what, and, and it's your time of the year too with the Australian Open, to be perfectly fair. Uh, and we've reached a stage now where uh, it's been a, a, a little bit of uh, carnage on both sides of the draw for, for men and women. Uh, but we do have uh, yep. the perennial and uh, Novak Djokovic still there. Whether he's playing with an injury, uh, we're led to believe he is, but he's not playing like it. And uh, today or tonight, he gets Tommy Paul, uh, an unseated American. Yeah, it's it's interesting looking at all the information that comes out in the media about his you know his hamstring pull. But he said that pretty much he's, he's put a lot of praise on his physio. They've done their job. Um, I think it's precautionary. 
I think it was spoken about. I think he did have a little bit of a, you know, a, a problem there, but he seems to have got through that because I'm telling you, I've, I've been watching his last couple of matches and I'm absolutely flabbergasted. He's 35 years of age. Um, he's won nine Australian Opens. Let's look at all the stats. He's going for his 22nd Grand Slam. He is serving faster than he has before on first and second serves averagely. He's getting more speed on his forehand um, and all the stats, he's actually playing the best he has for some time. He, he at the present time, is in the zone. Now, he's very wary of Tommy Paul. Of course, it's going to be how they match up on the day. But look at all the stats uh, are in the favour. They've never played before. Tommy Paul is one of the many Americans that are now coming through. His strength, uh, you know, he's, he has a good mix of footwork. He has a good speed. He's, he's dynamic. He is dangerous out wide. He's a shot maker. Um, but, you know, he's in his first semi-final of a Grand Slam. The deepest he's gone before, I think, is the highest, was the fourth round before. Um, has good ability. He's 25 years of age, so he's 10 years younger. Um, but it's hard to think that he will have the firepower on a regular basis to be able to take someone mm-hmm. like Djokovic. Djokovic is really hitting the mark, to be honest. I look at the, this matchup and I think to myself, this could go one of two ways. Tommy Paul could play the match of his lifetime um, and Djokovic could be slightly off and be under pressure for great parts of it. Or Djokovic could wipe the floor with Tommy Paul on the basis that Tommy might have already played his final. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know, you look at the draw, you look at the last two matches that Djokovic played, he just wiped the floor with those guys. And the guys, you know, Rublev, these are good players. These are good, consistent players. Um, I think, in on paper you'd pretty much say that it would be three straight sets to Djokovic. I think that people will want a battle. Uh, he may get a set, Tommy Paul, but honestly, you would not think he would take out Djokovic. He will have to play the match of his life. I don't, I don't know that he can do it on a consistent basis, you know, in the period of time they're out there. Um, but you never know. It looks, you know, <laughs> these players are getting closer and closer. And I'll tell you what I must say about the Australian Open. You know, everybody goes, I'm missing Federer and, you know, Nadal's out, whatever it is. I think it's, it's been a great Australian Open. I think it's showed a lot of players coming through. And I think the crowd's appreciated that with the closest of matches. And, you know, people like Murray coming through a couple of rounds and five-set matches and one of the longest matches of all time from just at 4 a.m. There's a lot going on, Ian. And it's actually been, I think, quite an exciting Australian Open, to be honest. Well, on the other side of the draw, uh, David, um, we've got um, the, the highest uh, seeded and in, in Stefanos uh, Tsitsipas, um, and he's taking on a really, really powerful player in uh, Karen Hashinov, who uh, I, I saw dismantle Sebastian Korda, uh, just with power, really. Yep. Um, he, was, he was primed. He came out of the, the tunnel charging, served an ace first point, never looked back. Uh, has he the potential to uh, upset Tsitsipas? You know, again, you're looking at this. Look, he, he has the ability, but again, you look at all the stats leading to this point. I think Kashinov um, is playing very well at present. His strengths are his big serve, his big heavy ground strokes. Hits a little bit of harder, um, you know, a bit harder generally um, off the ground than Sitsipas. Um, but, you know, their head-to-head record is 5-0 to Sitsipas. You know, who's ranked three in the world. You know, Kashinov is 18 in the world. Um... They know each other's games. They're both on, on a high. I mean, Sitsipas, for example, is saying that, you know, he feels um, more positive. He's not, as, he's not thinking negatively on the court. He, he feels mentally stronger, which comes from playing a lot of matches and playing at a high level. 
Cashinoff can worry him. Um, but again, I think I think it's looking very much in Sitsipas' favour. I think Sitsipas is just a little bit faster around the court, has a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more shot selection he can use, but he's not going to take Cashinoff easy by any means. So, and remember, Cashinoff has been to the semi-finals of the US Open. He lost to Rude last year, so he's been in the semi-final before. Because sometimes that's a bit daunting for players as well. So he does feel comfortable, and Cashinoff is a lot fitter this year. He stated in his, his last interview. So, it should be an exciting match. At the moment, Sitsipas is probably playing, I believe, a little bit better. Right. Okay. Let's uh, look at uh, the the women's final, which has now been confirmed after the semis last night. David um, Rybakina, of course, getting through. Um, she's uh, the current Wimbledon champion, and she's seeded only twenty two mm-hmm. for this Australian Open, which is a little bit puzzling in itself. Um, she's up against uh, Arinya Sabalenka, uh, of course, the number five seed. Well, again, you look at you look at them coming in. You know, Elena. Um, Vakina, she honestly has been playing great. She took out Swiatak, the uh, number one in the world. Uh, but these two have actually played three times, and each time it was a very close match. But all three of those those head-to-heads went to Sablinka. Um, You know, they're both similar ages. Sablinka is 24, Elena is, is 23. Um, they both are, are shot makers, very, very powerful. Sablinka hits a little bit stronger off the ground. A little bit more variation in the, in, you know, the Kazakhstan uh, Rubikina's game. So, again, I think it could go either way in this, but the but the stats really are lining up to Sablinka, who's been in three semi-finals before. But of course, Rubikina has been in the final of Wimbledon. Um, so, you know, and it's a pity because her ranking is considerably lower only because they gave no points to that Wimbledon last year because of um, different different reasons. So. It'll be an interesting match, but I think on paper, again, Siblinka, possibly a very tight three-set match. Right. Um, I'd really like to talk to you now away from the the Australian Open, a little bit about uh, New yep. Zealand tennis, David, because oh, good. Um, one, of, one of my wish lists is this. Uh, one of my wish lists is that we have... Um, I, Male and female, male would be great both, but I just want to have someone in these draws at these uh, Grand Slam <laughs> tournaments. How, how, I know it's a perennial question, but how does that come about? How do we achieve that with our, our tennis uh, people coming through? Oh, and there's, a, there's a whole lot of things required to that. Um, I like Dick Rye. I watched him at the ASB Classic, and he's our number one ranked, what, around about 450 in the world at the moment. And our and our seniors for the you know men in New Zealand, um, you know, and you look at his ranking is is way down to be able to even get access to the bigger tournaments and what have you. So he's always playing qualifying or lower tier tournaments, and it comes. There's a lot involved. What it is is that you have to be a realistic on, on where you stand with with your game um, and what you have to improve on. You have to be around the better players on a regular basis to understand that you belong with them and see if you can compete with them. So you have to do your apprenticeship through the lower-tier tournaments. It's, it's win-orientated. Um, it would be great if we had more events in New Zealand, but that comes down to finance as well. Um, and if you, if you could play in those, you have a chance to be either wildcard or if you don't have enough points to get an... I'm going to digress a bit here, so keep me on track again. But mm-hmm. 
if, if you can get an opportunity to play in those events in New Zealand with overseas players competing, it requires money to put those tournaments on. The ASB Classic um, and showed you with a couple of New Zealanders playing in the main draw as well. We had a player in the main draw as well. You know, they don't see those players across the net. They don't understand the the energy and the, and, and the fitness and, um, you know, what's involved at that level. So they're not competing against it. So to get to it, you have to get your world ranking up. You have to play in lower-tier tournaments to do that generally. You have to be around it. You can't stay in New Zealand. You have to be away. You have to be travelling regularly. Um, New Zealand, it would be nice if we had more more depth of players. I think we have some talented juniors coming through. Um, But they've got to go through the whole system to do that. You have to be around it. So it takes finance to do that. Um, and, and that's and that's the bottom line. And you have to be realistic where you're at as you're moving along. It's lovely if you could have your own coach, but it comes expensive. Um, mm. Travel in groups comes expensive. I mean, is that answering your question? I mean, it's that's the same in, in most sports, to be honest. Um, it's it's a hard one. Yeah, it is yeah. a hard one. It's Sorry, it's it's, uh, it's not giving me a, a whole lot of optimism here, David, because you mentioned. So many uh, things against it there. So, okay, so uh, I've got a relatively... You have to go what, overseas I say, and, I, and involved, really. Yeah, that's my point. Uh, the point is it's not going to be achieved here. Is that, is that your, 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 your bottom no, line? I think, I, think, I think they can get stepping stones by having events that they have an opportunity in to see better players and to get their world rankings up because it's all world rankings. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you an example, and, and people don't always that not involved in tennis don't understand how that operates here's 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 the bottom line right if you want to become a professional player as a general rule you're going to have to probably be in the top 150 in the world okay if you're going example the australian open in or or use that as an example you'd have to be probably in the top 90 in the world to make the main draw it's not even qualifying the good thing about that if you can get inside the top 200 in the world you have a chance to get in qualifying um, and now the finance or the money in those big events which we see, and I'll give you an example, the first round lose of the Australian Open is about 106000 Australian dollars now. The, the mm. last round qualifying loser is $55,000. There is money at that level, but to get to the level, you have to get your points up. And New Zealand would be a stepping stone if we had more events and more finance put in to give them the opportunity of doing that. Otherwise, they have to travel you know, around the world on a regular basis to all different, you know, countries and what have you um, to go through that transition. Um, and we also, we also, because of our size country, you know, you just don't have the depth. Um, you go away and a lot of players elect to go to scholarships in the States, um, which is a very good thing for them to play, get an education and play at that level. But what happens again if you want to do the circuit, you have to get out when you have your break from university and play and, and have a go. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. So it is not an easy exercise to do it. Another little thing, in 1985, and I'm going back and I'm an old fella, and there were five New Zealand men players in the main draw of Wimbledon, myself being one of them, whoopee-doo. But what happened, we had five in there. Now, that didn't happen by accident because we had all gone out you know, Chris Lewis, Russell Simpson, Bruce Derlin, Kelly Evenden, we all went out and tracked the circuit on a regular basis. And it was not a cheap exercise, but we had to play day in, day out and work out where we fitted and how we all operated.
And that's the, that's the bottom line. You need the opportunity to do that. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. It's very, this is enlightening. I, I want to know the, the, the answer to this because it's puzzled me and, and it concerns me actually as well, to be perfectly honest. Um, the, the other thing is, is tennis... Is tennis perceived as being from a, a junior, from a family-orientated position? Is tennis per, per, perceived as an elite sport? Um, like golf, I think. I think in I think in areas, yes. Um, and there's you know, and, and New Zealand tennis or tennis NZ is is trying to look at that development schools program and try and get some funding to do that to give everybody a chance to pick up a racket at school level. That's why they have the Hot Shots program and what have you. I would say probably it is not a cheap exercise. And I deal personally, I deal. I don't deal with the elite um, kids anymore. I used to be involved with the national squad, regions and all sorts of things. I mm. do club coaching, so I have a junior program in one. They come on and they only touch tennis for a very short period of time. If they really want to play... You know, parents are a huge part of that because they're the ones who become your volleyball hitting with you on the court. Because let's face it, Ian, and Ian, do you play tennis socially? Um, casually, very casually, uh, not that often, yeah, David. I'll cool. be honest. But if you but if you went out with your mates and you decided you wanted to have a hit, you'd take a can of three tennis balls out there, okay? And if mm. you could hit a few over, you're hitting the ball over and you're forever picking up <laughs> balls because someone's not keeping the rally going. But you have to persevere with that. So when a kid starts playing tennis, they go to a, a junior program, they have a go, they go, oh, I quite like hitting this ball, all my mates are playing it, and they kind of involve in the game. They may do some group lessons, and they may you know, do some private lessons to hone their skills a little bit. Then they have a club night, or they play a little interclub for their teams. They have to involve, and it's usually the parents will be taking them, and the parents are very much around them. In New Zealand... I believe, and I also believe it's important, they should experience all different sports to learn the hand-eye coordination and to learn team and things. So I think you cross-reference sports. I think it's very important. But but I think also, uh, I had an interview with Monotoglu some time ago, and he agreed it's 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 slightly different here than it is in, in, in Europe or Eastern Europe or whatever it is, the, the mentality here. You touch the sports, then you decide if you kind of like the environment, and then you start competing at different levels. Really, it's it's not an easy one because you have to have enough courts, court time, um, and you need your parents behind you to get you there. To have a few balls with you, you need a wall. If you look at all the past champions, uh, good players, they all practiced against a wall on a regular basis um, because that became their volleyball to hone their strokes and to get the hand-eye coordination working. So. And again, am I answering the questions that you wanted answered? Because David, it, it, it's a club aspect, you, you, and, and I think it's court time and it's being on the court and involving on a regular basis. It is not easy. That's why team sports are sometimes a lot easier because, yeah, you have more space and, and, and it is often a cheaper exercise. David Mustard, um, this has been enlightening for me, um, and it's not the last time I want to speak to you, so... Um, we, I have to end it now for time constraints. You know what radio is all yeah, about. Yeah. But here's the other, here's the other thing. Um, I'd love to call you back and get more into the teeth of this because once the Aussie opens over, because uh, it's, it's it's to me it's it's concerning and disappointing because 
I'm sure there's talent there. Um, you know, the, in the uh, Polynesian type society, these kids have raw power and strength, and and they just need direction. I'm sure. But David, can, thank you so much for this morning, um, and I'll, I'll make sure we get hold of you again shortly. It's it's been great catching up with you. It is, Ian. Remember, Ian, the ball's in your court. Oh, like it. I absolutely like it. Uh, 11, <laughs> have a great weekend, mate, watching the Open. Uh, 11, 11.21. 11.21. We'll be back shortly uh, talking hockey. Experts in agriculture covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.26 here on SENZ and a very important uh, weekend for New Zealand hockey and that the, the women black sticks take on Spain. This is at Blake Park. Um, they are playing three o'clock uh, on consecutive days, Saturday and Sunday, uh, at that Blake Park uh, hub of sport, which is uh, so wonderful there in the beautiful Mount Maunganui. Uh, and calling these games uh, will be Lavina Good commentating these matches. So Lavina, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to, to uh, talk a wee bit about it for us. Uh, this is an important series, of course. It's a pre-runner to uh, the FIH uh, Pro League as well. Um, tell us about these, this match-up uh, where the Black Sticks, I would imagine, are uh, fairly healthy underdogs here. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, kia ora, Mary. Nice, nice to chat to you. Looking forward to the hockey in the Bay of Plenty. Uh, we were hoping it would be basking in sunshine. We know it's a, a, a winter Spanish team that is heading over here to enjoy the sunshine. But judging by what's happening today and tomorrow, mate, that may not be the case. But it's a great match-up uh, for the Black Six to take on Spain. The Black Six are currently uh, ranked eighth in the world and, and the Spaniards are ranked seventh. So we've got a match-up of... Uh, Two of the top 10 teams in the world. The Black Six really disappointed with their Commonwealth Games uh, results. Most people would remember in 2018 they won the gold medal on the Gold Coast and were hot favourites to defend that gold medal. But in the end, uh, a heartbreaking semi-final against England who went on to win it in Birmingham and then also a bronze uh, medal shootout that they lost to India meant they came away without any medals. So there's been a few changes for that Black Six outfit. They have a brand new coach by the name of Phil Burrows, which will be a name that has been cemented in hockey New Zealand for quite some time. He he was a black stick for 16 years and played more than 300 games and scored more goals than any other player. But coaching, as you know, Smitty, is a whole new ball game and he will be coaching this black stick side for the first time over a two-day series. It's on Saturday and Sunday here in Taronga, and it could go either way. We've got some new-look players, some new-look faces. The Spaniards are, are missing one of their key players, but also Liv Mary, who's the um, highest goal scorer at the moment in this Black Six outfit. She won't be playing, but it'll be interesting to see how the Black Six troops uh, fare under their new coach and at the helm, Phil Burrows. It'll be a really, really exciting chance for hockey fans all over the country to get a taste of international hockey early in the year. Well, it is. Um, I'm, sh- I'm sad about the weather because, uh, of course, it's a it's a surface that needs uh, relatively good footing, and, and uh, let's hope that that is the case. Um, just just tell us um, a little bit more about this uh, Black Sticks uh, uh, outfit, if you can. We, we know all about Phil Burrows, of course, and this is his first venture appointed back in early December. Um, tell us about the experience levels in the Black Sticks. Okay, so for the first time captaining on her own will be Megan Hull. She'll be wearing the number 20. She's a, 
an amazing defender. I think she's played 50, 55 caps for the Black Sticks and scored four goals. But this is the first time that Hull will be captaining the side on her own. She's from the Wairarapa. Um, she has an amazing passing skill set. I mean, she can push, she can sweep, she can hit, she can aerial ball. And she carries a great deal of mana within this side and has spent many years establishing herself as not just one of the best defenders in Aotearoa, Smitty, but all over the world. So I'm, I'm sure plenty of eyes will be on the skipper. And also, it'll be great for the Tauranga hockey fans that will come out and support Frances Davies. She's on 99 caps for the Black Six. So if she gets the chance to don the shirt tomorrow or Sunday we will see the young Tauranga girl come out and play her 100th match in front of her friends and family. She's a tremendous player. She, she's another one that won a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast and uh, has some experience now, still in her 20s. But we know all of Tauranga will be backing her to try and come out and, and try and take on this Spanish side. That, that they're, they're an interesting team, the Spaniards. They really play with a high level of emotion. They play a very different style to the Black Sticks. The questions will be asked, Lily, what sort of style will the Black Sticks play? Phil Burrows has been in Australia for the past six years, coaching and, and being a high-performance manager in Melbourne, and he's come back and introduced some really unique and different techniques in the, in the training strategies of the Black Sticks. He's incorporated GPS training so that he can find out exactly the fitness levels and the direction that the players are heading to in training, and he's trying to implement that into the game as well. So it's a mixed team for the Black Six. We've got some young guns, and you girl that will be making her debut either Saturday or Sunday will be Hannah Cotto. She, she's been playing overseas in Australia and top scored for one of the domestic competitions in Australia. So she will be debuting. So you've got the new faces, and you've also got some of those stalwarts that have been around for a while that will bring some poise and cool-headedness when it comes to taking on the Spanish side, which are quite feisty, and both sides are ranked in the top 10. But what they're trying to do is win as many matches as possible prior to the FIH um, tournaments that are coming up. And also at the end of the year, after many, many matches, they'll all be trying to qualify for the Olympic Games in 2024 in Paris. So the journey for the Black Six starts in Tauranga tomorrow. The expectation is there for them to come out and teach a lesson or two to the visiting Spaniards, whilst the Spaniards who were... 14th in the world less than a decade ago when Adrian Locke took them over, the Great Britain hockey player, have gone from 14th to 7th and they seem to be climbing up that ladder. It'll be close, it'll be entertaining and the thing is, Smitty, if, if you can't get along to the match, um, hockey's always so much better, like most sports, if you can watch it live, but if you can't get along, then you can purchase a ticket because Hockey New Zealand has come out and decided to support an initiative from the Women's Refuge so that every ticket purchased uh, over the next two days, the $20 tickets, every single cent of that purchase will be donated to the Women's Refuge Gift a Safe Night campaign. So for 20 bucks, you can give that money to the Women's Refuge. You can provide safe housing and accommodation, hot meals to a woman, a whanau and her kids. And it's something that Hockey New Zealand have really come out on a limb to support the Women's Refuge, which is out there for some of our national sporting teams. But even if you can't get along, there'll be QR codes on the television, or even if you just like your hockey and you want to support a great cause, you can purchase a ticket to the Gift of Safe Night series on Saturday and Sunday, and that money will be donated to 
a fabulous cause and everyone's behind it. The Black Sticks are behind it, hockey associations in Toronga are behind it, Hockey New Zealand have come out and said this is the right thing to do. I know the broadcast team from Stream Shop are doing it on an absolute budget and basically providing their services nearly for free so that this cause can have an uplifting effect on the rest of Aotearoa. So not only is it international hockey, two of the top 10 teams in the world, but supporting a great cause here in New Zealand. I take my hat off to Hockey New Zealand for this particular initiative. And so do I. And I also thank you very much for that uh, beautiful preview of what's coming up over the weekend at Blake Park. Have a great call. Um, and we'll look forward to the outcome of those two games and more on the FIH League closer to that with you too, Lavina, if that's possible. Have a great weekend, girl. Great Thank stuff. you. Thanks, Mitty. Cheers. Cheers, Lavina. Good there. Uh, right, let's uh, have some calls, shall we? 0800 150 811. Um, time to stump Smithy. And uh, 50 bucks of TAB product up for grabs. 0800 150 811. Here's the news with Araha. Vodafone has one awesome summer of sport lined up for you. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, time for Stumped. Uh, why Smithy? Smithy, how are you feeling? You ready? Pretty confident. Pretty confident. Yeah, I've had a, poor, a poorly performed week, but I'm ready. He's, he's ready. Uh, Damon from Palmy's with us. Uh, Damon, how are you feeling about things, mate, after hearing that? Yeah, well, he's already 1-0 up on me um, this year so far, so I'm hoping to even the ledger, and I already owe him a pint from last year. Right, OK. Well, potentially it could be two pints. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, what do you fancy, mate? You can talk uh, FA Cup football, NBA or hockey. Which which one do you want to go? I'll try NBA. All right, here we go. NBA it is. Damon... Which team currently leads the Western Conference? Oh, would that be the Celtics? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not the Celtics, Smithy. What have you got? Um, West Coast. So you're looking Golden State, you're looking at LA. Um, not sure about any of those sides, actually. Um, I'll go though. I will go. I will go. Uh, Golden State. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Damien, you're still alive. The answer is the Denver Nuggets. Denver Nuggets are leading the West at Ooh. the moment. Okay. All right, Damon. Here you go. Question two. Fifty dollars TAB voucher could be yours. Who leads the league in points per game? Which player? That is. Um, um, would that be, oh, I'm just going to say Steph Curry. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah, Steph's been out for a long time uh, with, with shoulder injuries. Back now though, Smithy, you got a, a take on who it might be? I'm just going to go with um, Jay Morant from the Grizzlies. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket Oh, and so it's Luka Doncic is uh, at 33.8 points from the Mavs, yeah, uh, per mm. game. All right, Damon, uh, one more to go, buddy. Uh, you're, you've drawn a blank so far, but you still might win that $50 TAB bonus bet. Here we go. What team leads the links, uh, sorry, what team leads the league for points per game? Which team? Oh. Oh. 
I'll have to go for my team, the Boston Celtics. One of the worst things I have ever seen that's, that's, done on a cricket field. That, that's my team as well, Damon, and they are going well. They're top of the East, but no, it's not the Celtics. Smithy, can you stump Damon at the at the at the post? Can I stump Damon at the post? Um, the team that's leading in point scorers. Um, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Greek Freak. One of the worst things I have ever no. seen done on a cricket field. Uh, no, the, the answer is Hugh Bainan's, uh, as they have to be called, Hugh Bainan's Sacramento Kings, uh, to give them their full name. Wow. Uh, 119.7 points per game they're averaging. Uh, they are currently fourth in the Western Conference uh, and batting uh, way above their average. So everybody got them wrong. But, Damon, it means you still win yourself a $50 TAB bonus bet. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. It feels false, but I'll take it, and I'm going to class that as one all now as well. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Can, you, can you call that one all? If you, it's a nil all, really, isn't it? It's a nil all. Uh, it's yeah. a, well, it's a bit like the Cricket World well, Cup in 19, 2019. Yeah. You didn't, win, you didn't win the thing outright, but your name's on the trophy if you get my drift. Yeah. Here's the thing. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it. Yeah, I'm sure you will. England did too. Yeah. Okay, Damon, good on you, pal. Uh, a, Thank you. Brian, Brian will reward you if you stay on the line. Brian will reward you. It's 11.41. We're going to talk to uh, Mick Guerin very shortly. SCNZ. It's 11.47 and it's uh, time to talk uh, the harness racing industry uh, with uh, Michael Guerin. Um, um, Michael, Mick, as uh, most of the country knows you. Um, first of all, Mick, can I, I start on something else. I had a, a call this morning from uh, Brian from the Hibiscus Coast uh, who tried like hell yesterday to find any coverage uh, in the new paper of the Hawke's Bay races. said couldn't find anything. He goes back to the days, uh, he's, he's a bit long in the tooth like me, Brian, of the days where you used to see the fields and then you'd, the next day you'd see the results. Are those days gone forever and why? Um, no, no, we have, uh, it's at the Herald who's on the racing editor for, we... Uh, have a deal with the codes in New Zealand to run a certain amount of racing because otherwise there would be no no daily racing coverage. So in the Herald, every Wednesday, there'll be the Northern Galloping Fields. Every Thursday, mm. the harness racing fields for that night are run. So every last night, Cambridge, for example, because it's the higher mm. turnover of the two meetings. And every Friday we run three sets of fields, which is one harness racing set of fields for Addington tonight. They'll be in New Zealand Herald every Friday. And we run the two galloping fields for the next day. So we run four sets of fields. If, for example, Pukakaui or Alice had a major Sunday meeting, they would run. And then we also have New Zealand Pudding Cups on a Tuesday, Melbourne Cups on a Tuesday. Those fields are run. And then eight weekends a year, we have feature race coverage on a certain Friday, which means we have three pages of racing. So the New Zealand Herald will have a story on racing every day. That's absolutely guaranteed. Every single day, there's a racing story in the Herald. Most days, there's two on average. Um, Mondays, Tuesdays, or sorry, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, there tend to be three. Uh, and then obviously today there was three with the race of the week graphic. So the coverage is paid for by the codes, but it's at an enormously discounted rate. Uh, and for that, they also get, for example, um, this week there's going to be a full page in the Herald on Sunday on the sales. Now, that's not paid for by the codes or by New Zealand Bloodstock. That's just because we have an established relationship and the Herald you know, believes racing is important. So, um, yeah, that's basically how that works. Fields and... The, the re, what happens, Millie, was about... 
20 years ago, when they started bringing in the Australian fields, we were running all the domestic fields and all the Australian fields. And quite simply, if we ran all the domestic racing fields now, it'd take up a full newspaper page every day, which would mean there would be more space allotted to racing in the New Zealand Herald than any other sport. There'd be more racing coverage than rugby coverage. Well, that would be disproportionate to what the readers want. Um, yes, it worked for me and you, and it worked for Brian from Hibiscus Coast, but it wouldn't be realistic because what you're saying is we're just going to give the TAB free subsidised fields for as long as they want. And the problem with that is where does that stop? Do you run Randwick? Do you run Mooney Valley when they have higher turnover than Cambridge Harness? And that's when that problem started. We also worked out that running results, say, for example, you could run a, a story on the New Zealand netball team, or you could run the results from Timaru, which most people who want the results from Timaru now have the ability to get them if they really want them bad enough. So you say, can you cannibalise other sports, school sports, um, you know, the America Cup, all those sort of things, to run Timaru harness racing results, rivet and gallops, when in fact most other people know they get them online. So that's a very long answer to your question, but that's that's how things have changed in my time as racing editor at the Herald. Um, it's a battle, yes, but the, the New Zealand Herald is the only paper in the country which will have racing every day, and that isn't my imagination. That's guaranteed because every day I sit down and do it. Okay, uh, there's Harness. Uh, thanks for that, Mick, uh, enlightening me uh, in particular as well as Brian and other listeners as well. Um, there is Harness Racing Action uh, over the next three days, actually. Addington tonight, Winton Saturday, Methven on the grass. And uh, your coverage of the, the Methven meeting, you'll be able to preview that, of course, with your show on, um, on Sunday morning. Well, Gregor Potter will be leading the Chops Talk coverage. That's 11 o'clock every Sunday morning on ECUZ. I'm actually going to be at the sales at Caraca, which is one of the great reasons we have these two people panels on shows, like Louie and I tomorrow. When one person can't be there for you know, other racing interests, um, Greg will be leading the show. So he'll be talking about Methman. Greg will also be at Addington tonight. He'll be making a special presentation to both John Dunn, who just drove his 1500th New Zealand winner, and to Blair Orange, who drove his 2500th New Zealand winner. That'll be part of Greg's duties tonight at Addington, where it's the major meeting of the week, Smithy. Um, you mentioned those three. We actually race on Monday, too, because it's an Auckland anniversary weekend. So the Waipato race on Monday, because lots of people will be in that part of the world for the weekend, but also lots of punters have a holiday because Auckland's our biggest city, so they have a nice um, Country Cups Championship day there on Monday. But the big dance is tonight, that's at Addington, because Addington's been pretty dormant for the last month. They sort of have a break in January while the grass track racing kicks in, and then they sort of kick off again. So their season begins tonight, and their feature race is a race I really like for the punt tonight. It's race 7, eight twenty two. And I think Manhattan, who's owned by a good young bunch of blokes, I think it'll blast across barrier eight and get the lead. Now, it's almost unbeaten in front. It has been beaten last half in front, but usually when it leads, it wins. It's $3.20 with the TAB tonight. I spoke to Bob Budd, who trains Manhattan. He said, yep, it's, it's obviously going to be hard to beat. He said, but we've also got Kelly's delight in the race. This is race seven, number seven. He said, we think it can get across and trail... And it's a great place bet. It's around $2.50 for a place. So we're going for the Bob Butt team to beat the favourite All-American lover, spoke to its trainer, 
uh, Steve Telford yesterday, and Steve said, look, we realise we're going to need to sit parked. It's going to be hard for us, so we realise we may lose tonight. So that's the reason I like the race, because the favourite has the worst draw, and I can find two options uh, to bet against it. OK, um, Mick, uh, thank you very much for that. Um, uh, we're going to head into the news shortly, so um, great talking to you, of course. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, hey, and enjoy the sales. Purchase well when you do. Mate, I'm looking forward to it. Mate, Wellington Cup, that and Louis and I will preview that tomorrow morning from 8 o'clock on the mail run. Most importantly, Rain Express.